Now, brief disclaimer before I start. Um, that's a bad start. All right, there we go. Who here has get a, got a little bit of whatever's going around? A little bit sick? Some kind of illness? Some kind of general sort of fluey thing? No? Okay, then I can't blame anyone here. Um, I would have without hesitation, but I got a bit of that. But fortunately, I feel like my voice is going to hold out. Uh, it's really the 10.30 service that has to worry about that, but quite frankly, they should have got up earlier. So, we're, uh, we're in our prayer series. Um, we're on our fifth uh, part of our prayer series. We're talking about listening to God in prayer. Now, we're working with a, a topic more than a passage for this specifically, but our key passage comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about prayer. 1 Samuel verse, or chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak so that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered him, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. And so we went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel had not yet... Uh, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling at other, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can pray to you, and we thank you for your word. We ask that you open it to our hearts and open up our hearts to your word. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. So this, this is week five of our uh, six-week series on prayer. So far we've talked about adoration in prayer, there's praising God in prayer, uh, petition in prayer, asking God uh, to fulfill our needs, intercession in prayer, praying for other people's needs, other causes, things beyond ourselves, and perseverance in prayer, that long campaign of prayer. These are four different features of how we pour out our hearts to God, but today we're talking about listening, about how God will pour out his heart to us. And what if I told you that actually I've been sitting on the real secret of hearing God's voice? A secret technique that has been withheld from the common people for all this time that preachers exclusively use and professional Jesus types keep to themselves. It might sound to start like a scam. Revolutionize the way you hear God's voice with this one new tip. Or maybe six ways to understand God's will for your life. Number five will surprise you. 
Or maybe this one, a more classic one. The secret of hearing God's voice is actually known by only one man who happens to be the prince of Nigeria. And I'm trying to fly him in to speak at our church, but due to political instability in the region, I'll need to take up a special offering of $10,000 to unfreeze his passport. And then he'll fly in and offer us the true secrets of conversation with the Almighty. These are all scams. The first few are misleading techniques used by websites. The last is a classic grift. But the point of all this is that some things that seem too good to be true are. And the people of God have been seeking after God's voice for thousands of years. And the Father has used a variety of ways to speak to his people in that time, ranging from enormous, powerful voice from the sky to the voice from a donkey in one interesting occasion. And when Christ walked the earth, God spoke more clearly than he had ever spoken before or since. In the things that Jesus said and that he did, the invitation to submit to God, to be forgiven, to live after Christ's example, those are recorded for us in Scripture, what we often call God's word. And after he was crucified, he rose again to life and then ascended to heaven. And since then, no one has discovered a new weird tip about phoning heaven directly. If someone tells you they've discovered something new in a 2,000-year-old tradition of following the Son of God, they are probably wrong. That means listening for the voice of God isn't easy. It requires intentional effort. It requires spiritual discipline. Like any other aspect of our spiritual life, we get better at it as we do it over time. Which means that we're probably not great at it to start with, but we won't get any better at it if we don't make it a priority. So I want to begin with this question. Are you better at hearing the voice of God today than you were this time last year? Are you better at hearing God's voice today than you were this time last year? Has that discipline improved for you? And if I ask that question next November, would you like to answer with a more firm yes? I'm going to talk about six ways that God does speak, that he answers prayer, that he speaks into our lives. We should be listening for him in all these ways. What the saved sinner has with God is a relationship, after all. And a relationship where only one side talks is terribly dysfunctional. It's not a typical relationship between man and God, certainly. It's a unique one. But nonetheless, we speak from both sides. Some of those ways we hear from God are more supernatural and strange to us than others. I think you're more likely to hear the voice of God through Scripture than through a dream or a vision, for example. But over the course of a life following God, most believers experience all of these different ways of hearing from Him. So we're going to go through them from, uh, in a rough order, of the most amazingly supernatural down to the most common and natural. Now, in a short list, you don't need to write this down, we'll be going through it. We have audible voices, hearing the voice of God, visions and dreams, through scripture, through our conscience, through feeling, and through wisdom. And that's a lot, and I'm going to try and be concise, but we'll have a chance to look at the way they all fit together at the end as well. So let's start with the big one, the audible voice, hearing 
the voice of God in our ears or in our head. What do we mean by hearing the audible voice of God? Well, what we're talking about for most Christians is what they seem to mean when they want to hear the voice of God, literal words from God, as if he had spoken a sentence near your ear or in our heads, either out loud or directly, clearly heard in the mind, but directly from God and not from any other secondary source. So the passage that we read, 1 Samuel 3, records the prophet Samuel, still a child, being called by God's audible voice during his training with the priest Eli. And we saw that that was a voice that he could mistake for an old man that he knew. Not the, the cloud-tearing Charlton Heston voice of God, but the otherwise gentle voice that he mistook for someone he already knew. In fact, he's so used to helping out poor blind Eli that he hears his name called, he fires out of bed and runs down the hall as if Eli had called him, and he does this twice more before Eli figures out what's going on. This is amazing and raises two problematic questions. The first is the fact that Samuel was part of God's tradition of spokesman prophets. They were very special individuals. He was a particular kind of guy. He had a special relationship with God. Can we assume that God will speak to us in the same way he speaks to someone like Samuel? Maybe we shouldn't assume that. And the second problem is, because we're in the 21st century, when someone tells you that they hear the audible voice of God speaking to them, most of us have to fight the instinct to prejudge that person as crazy. If they report that God is telling them harmless things, God says, keep on trucking, God tells me that I should listen to your advice, then we're usually happy to let that slide. If they report that God is telling them alarming things, God tells me that I should date your daughter. God tells me that the world is going to end on Thursday. Then we force a smile and then wonder how one goes about getting a straight jacket and a Thorazine drip. Now, the same goes for the second of our six ways of listening for God in dreams and visions. Dreams and visions are much like this, but they have this visual component, some kind of picture or element that we see the way that God is communicating something to us. Naturally, that's going to happen more often when you're asleep. That's why I put them second on the, on the scale of supernatural communications and amazing things that God does. Because for some reason, it's easier to believe that God would speak to someone in a vision in a dream than it is speaking audibly in their head. Now, both of these ways are quite explicitly the communication of God. They're very confronting for the person that experiences them. They're very confronting for those who are not experiencing them because they tend to be highly skeptical of these events. And this is one of the great tensions of our modern faith, the discomfort with the supernatural. We don't expect it to occur in our lives because most of what we encounter is natural. But we're afraid of ruling it out because that would be limiting to our idea of God, maybe disrespectful of God, maybe even a sign that our faith is false. And that's a scary thought. And I know I sound deeply skeptical of God speaking with explicit words and visions to his people. And I think I might be completely skeptical if I hadn't experienced them myself. I was about 14 or 15. I was living at the bottom of Mako Street, which is over there. 
like two streets down. And I just finished reading Nikki Cruz's book, Devil on the Run. You might be familiar with Nikki Cruz from the, the Cross and the Switchblade. Uh, but essentially, it's his book about spiritual warfare. And I read it, and I was pumped up, and I was restless. So I walked down, I put my discman in my pocket, and I, <laughs> and I walked down to the church at 11 at night, and I knelt down by the little retaining wall of rocks behind this building, and I prayed for some kind of instruction, because I had no idea what I was supposed to do with all the information and energy that I was feeling. And I heard what I would describe as the word of God. Not an out loud voice for me, but clear words in my mind. Sharpen your sword, harden your shield, earn your wings, and I will carve your name in the wall of heaven. And I went home and I wrote that down, and for years to come, I returned to those words and second-guessed them over and over again. Did I really hear that, or did I make that up to add some drama to my life? Did I convince myself that I, wanted, that I heard because I just wanted so badly to have a special godly event of my own? What did it all mean? And eventually I came to peace with those words. A reassurance in my life, a great uplifter. I've mistaken what they've meant once and then got it right again. A useful spiritual guidepost for later decisions. God let me know that spiritual warfare was going to be a significant feature in my life following him. Spiritual warfare is actually next week's topic, so we won't uh, go into it deeply here. We'll approach it more directly then, but in any case... I knew to expect him to steer my life in that direction. And since then, I haven't heard anything like the audible word of God or a vision or a dream. Not out loud, not in visions or in dreams, in this explicit, hey you, actual words to the ear kind of way. Does he speak in these ways? I have to say, yes, he does. I'd have to call a lot of people liars if I said he didn't a lot of people who I trust in their walk with God. Not to mention, I'd have to call myself a liar. But it's not the only way he speaks. And I would say it's not even the primary way he speaks, and maybe not even the most desirable way to hear his voice. We'll get to that one a little bit later. But more commonly, when we're looking to, to hear the voice of God, we get our answers from Scripture. Because God's laid out in the Bible so much about his character, about who he is, about what he expects of his people, about his purpose for his people in the world and speaking the gospel in it. Most of the big questions that we have in life are answered in the Bible. Who made the world? Start with page one. Why do we suffer? Try Genesis 3. The meaning of life, the purpose of love, the right way to live, the manner to handle our money, it's all there. That's why it's an important part of our spiritual discipline to be engaging with Scripture, to be soaking it in, to be allowing it to become part of us, not just seeking answers for specific issues we might have, but kind of marinating in Scripture so that it's there with us when those things arise. When we live steeped in Scripture, we have God's word on the topic at hand when the question comes up. I might say, what does God want me to do with my life? And I might know Mark 12, 30 to 31, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Maybe I should 
Start there. Should I loan the Prince of Nigeria $10,000 to unfreeze his assets? Proverbs 11.15, whoever puts up a security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands and pledge is safe. Probably not. God will not command his people to violate his scripture. That's one of the, the great reasons and purposes we have his scripture for. It's a timeless bedrock of his word so that we can check any more specific word of God that comes to us against scripture to know if it's true. In 1823, an interesting man named Joseph Smith received what he described as a visit from an angel. He was told that the church was corrupt and the word of God needed to be restored and that he was going to be the instrument to restore this new scripture and the true gospel. He went on to found the Mormon church, which has 15 million followers today. What he should have done was checked his scriptures, gone back to Galatians 1.8, which says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. God's scripture prepares us for these things. If we're trying to listen for the voice of God, a good move is to start with the word that he has seen fit to commit to pages forever. Now the next in the way of hearing uh, hearing God's voices is tied in with all the others. I call it the feeling. It's, sometimes we might call it conviction. It's the sense that something is from God. It's a spiritual awareness. It's an internal thing. It's not words. It's that spiritual alertness about some thought or some event that God is directing you towards it. It's like watching a movie with a friend who jabs you with their elbow whenever they know a good bit is coming up. This is the feeling of the Holy Spirit's elbow nudging into the ribs of your soul. We sometimes call it conviction, and it's what, it's what every preacher hopes will happen when they preach. Lots of sermons, most sermons even, that we might hear are good, useful, helpful for uh, applying the word of God to our life. And then one day the passage will come up which relates to something that we are dealing with specifically, and we will feel that nudge and that conviction and the sense that it was somehow meant for us. That's the Holy Spirit saying, pay particular attention. Likewise, when we're reading the Bible, we might discover that at a certain time, a particular passage strikes us. It's more intended for us, that nudge again. Often it's one that's uncomfortable and challenging, that we might be tempted to skip past if we weren't alerted to it. And you only have to speak to a handful of missionaries to establish the pattern of the way that God often calls them to international mission fields or domestic mission fields. The wife will get the sense that God wants them to be doing something missionally. She plucks up the courage to tell her husband, who informs her that also he has been experiencing the sensation that they should be doing something missionally, or perhaps the other way around. They begin looking into missions, just speculatively, and then come across information on one country or one cause, and then they're convicted... God is directing us towards this. They know in their spirit that God is calling them there. And then they either dive in or God drags them there kicking and screaming. And they learn to appreciate it later. The feeling, that feeling is the, the fourth way to listen for God's voice. And I want to be careful to say it shouldn't be confused 
with what we call our conscience. Now, the conscience, of course, is that moral sensation inside us that causes us to feel bad when we do what we know is wicked and feel good when we do what we know is righteous. The, the feeling, the conviction, the previous thing, is the, is the product of the Holy Spirit making us more aware of something, directing us towards something, more focused on a thought or an idea. But the conscience kicks in when the morals that we've been taught, right or wrong, are violated or confirmed. It's often mistakenly suggested that the conscience is a naturally occurring phenomenon, that we start with it. That God supernaturally imprints the whole code of good and evil on the hearts of people, and then someone has to sear their conscience by ignoring it over and over again to stop that feeling from happening. You'd say that, uh, that a person becomes a, a thief when they no longer feel bad about stealing because they've stolen so many times and ignored that sense of right and wrong. I think that's mistaken. And to, to further that point, I'd like to ask those of you who have children or who have ever had children or who have ever had to look after children, does good behavior naturally spring up in them? Does a child, for example, turn two years old, now able to walk and talk a little bit, and set naturally about helping around the house, honoring their mother and father, being scrupulously honest? No? Is it more accurate to say that a child starts as a supernova of entitlement, and what then they will do or say or excrete anything they need to to get attention and satisfaction? And they're a mountain of selfish instincts that you tolerate because they are adorable. And they are a tiny little version of you whom you must wear down with a river of infinite patience and good, lesson, good lessons. Good lessons. <laughs> Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. The conscience is taught. Some people have their conscience taught badly and they end up with a messed up sense of what is right and wrong. But where it is right, God does speak to reinforce those things that we know. Should I steal a car? No. Why? Because stealing is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because God commanded us not to steal. Our conscience is like a shorthand summary of the moral teaching we've taken in. It starts with our parents when we're young, but after that, we start making our own decisions about the moral authority that we let carve away or build up the remnant of our own mountain of selfish instincts that we began with as entitled children. It's a tool that God has given us to learn virtue, to learn how to live after Christ. And once you know Christ and the Holy Spirit gets to work on you, he begins bending the warped parts of your conscience back into shape through challenging experiences and convicting us through our conscience where our conscience is good. And that brings us to the last item on our list. The last way that God speaks into our lives is through wisdom. Wisdom of other people that he's put into your life. When we're young, it's the wisdom of our parents that God uses to form our conscience. That's how he speaks his enduring word into our life first. As we get older, we attract friends and mentors 
wise words spoken by someone we respect are the kind of thing that the Holy Spirit loves to use to convict us. Proverbs 27, 17, my favorite verse, says, Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If you walk with God, if you are listening for his word, you will find he puts people in your life who can speak with wisdom. If you keep walking with God, you will find he puts people in your life who need you to speak wisdom into theirs. You may not feel you're qualified for that. Well, tough. He expects that of us. Remember that we have a God who delights in relationships. It shouldn't surprise us that he likes to speak his wisdom by having folks pass it on to one another. That's how he likes his gospel to be transmitted, and he works in this way too. A good marriage, too, is bound up in God speaking to both parties and then them refining one another. God gives the right words to say to her when she's upset. If he's acting stupid, God will often give no words for her to say to him. But a particular facial expression that will blow a hole through his justifications. This is iron sharpening iron. And a couple that follow together will find that he doesn't just teach them individually, but uses them to teach each other. So we've got audible voice, visions and dreams, scripture, conviction and feeling, conscience and wisdom. Six ways that God speaks to us. None of them are new. None of them stand alone. Some of them are more common than others. Some of them speak to specific questions about our lives. And others refine and remind us about the character of God. Those are the ways to listen for the voice of God. But the real question comes now, how do we know if what we're listening to really is the voice of God? Which of these things can I trust? Because there are certainly people who hear voices and dream dreams who are just crazy. And there are people who twist scripture in the most monstrous ways. And people who have messed up consciences and give bad advice. And there's a lot of folks who say that they feel God, who are really just feeling excitement or imagination or lunch. And if none of these ways is a flawless hotline to God, how can we trust anything we supposedly hear from him? Especially if he's going to ask us to do something big, like move to another country or change careers. Well, the answer that we have is that we just don't fire off the rocker the first feeling or piece of advice that we get. We've been given a whole bunch of ways that we know God speaks into our lives and confirms with us. God didn't give us one way he speaks to us. He's given us many. And we should be prayerfully listening for all of them. When we hear from one, we should prayerfully seek to confirm with another. Because that's the way that they're made. If you receive a word from God audibly, like you've never heard before, but you're afraid you're just overthinking your own thoughts, find a person with wisdom who you trust. And investigate scripture with them on the matter. What does your conscience tell you to do? Do you feel the Holy Spirit's prompting? If they all point towards the positive, then act on it. But if the feeling that is prompting you, is in fact prompting you away from that word, or your mentor 
and your partner don't trust it, then you might just have learned a little about what the voice of God doesn't sound like in your head. You will make mistakes. Like anything, we do poorly until we do a bunch of it, and then we do well. This applies to listening to God. When I was 16, I made a deal with God. I, or I rather, I told him what I expected him to do, and I called that a deal with God. I said, God, women are complicated and weird. And I'm not very interested in figuring out, them, figuring out how to interact with them by trial and error in my life. So I'll try focusing on following you. And in exchange, I expect you, when my pre-wife shows up, to put a big neon sign over her head and have some clear, direct, indicated sign. And that should tell me very clearly without any, uh, any question on the matter that I should, in fact, marry that complicated and weird creature. And I wanted God to speak directly, verbally, in a vision, in some manner of explicit marker, so that I couldn't think my way out of it or second-guess later. And after a decade or so of waiting on that sign and second-guessing the prayer and worrying if I was going to miss out by acting too soon or too late, God taught me through that the invaluable lesson that he does not prefer to deal in neon signs. That we do not have the right to twist his arm to speak to us in the way that we would be most comfortable with. And I gained an incredible peace with hearing the more normal ways of hearing God's voice. Through scripture, through conviction, through conscience, and through the wisdom of others. And that's what I mean when I say that hearing God's voice, in the sense that you hear actual uh, audible words, is less desirable than the feeling of the Spirit convicting us. Our relationship with God is not meant to be uh, order and follow, order and follow. It's not a, not a puppet-to-master relationship where we don't take a step unless he pulls the string. We're supposed to follow Christ to become more Christ-like. Fundamentally, God speaks to us and leads us in our lives not because he needs us to do particular work. He could get someone else to do it or he could do it himself. He's God. But our Lord leads us because he's working on our character and our relationship with him. In any workplace, you can tell the good workers from the bad workers. The good worker asks the boss what to do, and then they go do it. And if the same situation comes up again, they do it again. And after a while, they start anticipating what the boss wants, and because they understand their role and the goal of their work. And sometimes they assume too much, and then they learn their mistake, and they carry on. The bad worker asks the boss what to do, and then does it. And then asks the boss what to do again, and then does it again. And then asks the boss what to do again, and does it again. It doesn't do anything unless he is specifically told what to do. Anyone who's worked in management knows this archetype. Some folks learn quicker than others, but folks that don't learn at all, they either don't respect the people they're working with enough to really bother, or they're so paranoid about getting it right that they cripple themselves with anxiety about doing it wrong. So too with God. God speaks in amazing ways with direct words and visions, particularly if you're young in the faith and he's framing your life for the first time. 
But the way God works in the world, the way he works with us in the world, is that he shows us that he expects us to listen to him through relational devices, through mentors and church family, through conscience and conviction, and through the word that he set down in the Holy Scriptures. All of these things we become better at by applying ourselves to prayerfully. So do you take the time to pour the scripture into your life? Do you know more and more clearly the feeling of the Holy Spirit when he convicts you on an issue? Have you taken your conscience for granted or do you take responsibility for the morals that reinforce or tear down the things in your own heart? Do you have wise friends, accountability partners, mentors, people around you that you can trust to speak the wisdom of God into your life? These are the ways that we listen to God. And they are not easy, they are not new, but they are right there for us when we're ready to pursue them. Let's pray now that our Father would open our hearts and our ears to better listen to him in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in prayer. We pour our hearts out to you now, asking that you would pour out your heart to us. Make us sensitive to the movement of your Holy Spirit so that we might know better your will. Lord, we ask you to fortify us with strong consciences, with the truth of Scripture, with peers and mentors who walk likewise with you. And when you choose to speak to us in some special way, Lord, give us the discernment to know your voice and give us the faith to trust in what you command. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.